Can this brother play? My Lord. He just sits back there. It just flows out of him. That's called the gift. Thank you for sharing your gift, brother. Praise God. Well, turn to the person next to you. Smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. <laughs> Tell him you are hot. She said it tonight, yeah. <laughs> Praise God. There is a sweet spirit of the Lord here. And I'm so excited about this word. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Philippians chapter 1, 19. What an amazing group tonight on a Monday night in the house of the Lord. Look around. What a great crowd, man. It's awesome. Yeah. Church growth experts say that people will not come out on Monday night and Tuesday night. And I always say if you give them a reason to show up, they will come. They will come. I want to share with you a faith-building message. Friends, I believe whatever you need is found in the presence of the Lord. Hear that again. I believe whatever you need is found in the presence of the Lord. And I want to talk to you on how you put a demand. Pastor was talking about a demand on the anointing. And I want to give you a practical teaching that you could apply to your life. Because I believe if you will put this into practice, not only in this service, but in your everyday life and walk with God, you can experience regular miracles in your life. I make no apologies for believing and declaring that this church right here still believes that Jesus Christ is a healer and a miracle worker. If you believe that, someone clap your hands and praise you. We believe it. And I believe anyone right now, whether the sound of my voice or watching on live stream, can have a miracle and God can change your life tonight, right now. Friends, to put a demand on the anointing is a very powerful thing. The word demand, according to Webster's Dictionary, is an urgent request or to seek after or to ask for with proper authority. Hear it again. The word demand is an urgent request. In essence, we are putting an urgent request on the anointing to seek after it or to ask for with proper authority. What authority do we have? Scripture says we are joint heirs with Christ. Amen. We are joint heirs. So we have that authority. To put an urgent request with proper authority. Now, you need to understand the anointing that is within ministry gifts is a supply of the Spirit. In other words, the Bible tells us we have a supply of the Spirit. But you don't always get to that supply unless there is a demand that is placed on the anointing. And when you place that demand on that anointing, it begins to put all of heaven into motion. All of heaven responds to God's children <coughs> calling on him. And you always have to put that demand there. Let's read together Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Some translations say, my salvation. Through the prayer, through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is telling us there is a supply of the Spirit for healing in this room today. There is a supply of the Spirit for financial provision in this room right now. There is a supply of the Spirit for a breakthrough for homes that are in crisis that need a miracle. I told you that the anointing is the personality of the Holy Spirit. It wants to change from within you to rest upon you in times of crisis, compromise, and opportunity. At salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. He is in you. The Word of God says, it is nigh unto you. But at times of crisis, compromise, and opportunity, there needs to be a transference of the Holy Spirit from within you to rest upon you. And we call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
It is for the work of the ministry. Jesus coming out of the wilderness, he looked and he, and he begins to quote scripture and he says, the spirit of the Lord is up on, up on me. And then he quantifies why there's a change. He said it's for the preaching of the good favorable year of the Lord, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are held captive. He's explaining that you have to have a transition of the Holy Spirit from within you upon you when it's time for ministry. When there's a crisis, a compromise, an opportunity. And by an upraised hand, how many say, that's me, I want to be ready for it. At any time, any place, Lord, use me. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation. Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is available to every believer the supply of the Spirit. The word supply means storehouse. It means reservoir. And when we look at the ministry gifts that are on the platform, when we look at ministry gifts that are in the lobby, when we look at ministry gifts of volunteers who lead worship or teach a class, Every one of them have a supply of the Spirit. Every person who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, and then baptized in the Holy Spirit at your, as your prayer language, you have a supply or a reservoir of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So we must ask, why? Well, the power of the New Testament church is the Lord has deposited his anointing in individuals. For a specific reason. 1 John 2.27, you have an anointing that abides. You have an abiding anointing. Well, why? Why does God give you the power of the Holy Spirit? It's for the perfecting of the saints. The work and the edification, the ministry of the saints. Ephesians 4.12, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The only reason you have the gift of the supply of the Spirit is to not glorify a person. Pastor said it already. It's not to you look at any man or a pastor as some spiritual giant or spiritual leader, as some elite superstar. But the only reason that God gives an anointing to any individual is for the perfecting of the saints, the congregation. It's not about me. It's not about Brian. It's not about Josh. It's about the church. It's about the... Oh, come on, if you believe that. Clap your hands. It's all about the church. And anytime you see an anointed man or woman of God who is giving themselves over to ministry, they're leading in worship like we just saw tonight, or they're playing an instrument, or they're teaching, or they're working in the nursery, or whatever they are doing, if you will put a demand on the reservoir of the supply of the Spirit that is within them, the Bible is clear that you can get a miracle. You can receive a miracle. It's not about who lays hands on you. It's about the Spirit's supply. We are just the vessel that he works through. And it is our responsibility as the church, the body of Christ, to put a demand on the anointing. When we put a demand on that anointing, we draw out that anointing. You put a demand on it. There was a place called Azusa, California. A one-eyed black preacher by the name of William Seymour who couldn't get into many white churches because they didn't want brown folks having church with white folks. It's very sad to say, but the reason we have the church of God, the church of God in Christ, is because they didn't want to have church back then with folks my color and a little darker. And so they separated. And they went to the other side of the tracks in a place called Azusa, California. And William Seymour rented out an old barn, and he started fasting and praying. And he said, Lord, would you send the anointing? And he began to put a demand on the anointing. Well, what happened was historic. The greatest revival in the history of California, really, or the United States, Azusa, California, the power of God. Out of it came the church of God in Christ. Out of it came the church of God. The Assemblies of God, the Foursquare Church. Azusa was amazing. And as I'm studying this man, this amazing anointed man, 
I read that his people would come and say, Pastor, you're embarrassing us. And he'd say, well, that's not news for you guys because you've had Brian. But, <laughs> Pastor, you're embarrassing us. And he'd say, child, why am I embarrassing you? Because the blinded eyes are opening, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking. And we're looking to the sacred desk to validate the move of God, for the mighty man of God to put a validation and we find our pastor laying in the altar with his head in an old wooden shoebox. He would bury himself in an old wooden shoebox. And he would pray for the latter rain. William Seymour stood up and he wiped his eyes and he wiped his brow. And he said, oh, child, child, in a true move of God, there is no such thing as a mighty man of God, only a man that serves a mighty God. Oh, come on, but you believe it, praise it. Come on, don't patty cake and praise it. He is the anointed one. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Christos. So the question then becomes, how do you put a demand on the anointing in someone's life? By reaching out in faith and responding to what you hear. By reaching out in faith and responding to what is being preached. When you apply it in your life and you start walking out God's word, that puts a demand on the anointing and it becomes life-giving. When you are obedient to the preached word, when you're obedient to the written word, it puts a demand on the written word of God and it becomes life-giving. Now let me give you several scriptural references that will teach you what I'm talking about, biblical patterns. I told you that we serve a God that is a God of biblical patterns. As he dealt with natural Israel, he will deal with you and I who are spiritual Israel. And you have to look at the biblical patterns, how God operated then, he still operates now. Biblical patterns. Listen, miracles just don't happen. They just don't come out of the sky and just don't happen. God is not running a heavenly lottery system where you just get lucky to be happening or sit in some spot and suddenly you get your anointing or you get your, your miracle. No, there are spiritual, biblical principles that are at work. Let me give you biblical patterns. Luke 6, 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. That's the demand of the spirit or the reservoir that we are talking about. Power went out of him. It was in him. They sought to touch him, even just the hem of his garment. And because they put a demand on the anointing, because they did something out of the ordinary, because they dared to reach out in faith and touch him, the anointing came through him. It could have stayed in him, but they reached out and they touched him and the anointing started flowing. They drew it out of him. Listen, you can draw it out by the way you worship. You can draw the anointing out by the attitude you have while the word of God is being preached. Now, I preach in all kinds of places in 32 years of ministry. I'm in the back of Santa Anita Racetrack to the jockeys there. There was about six of them. And it was one of the most anointed uh, services I've ever had because they were pulling it out of me. They were taking notes. They're just amen. They were so like sponges. They were get more, give me more. They were sitting on the edge of those barrels and just saying, We need more. We need more. Their expectation, their hunger, the desire for more of Jesus pulled the anointing out of me and began to move inside of them. Friends, listen, this is called a pulpit. It is first mentioned in the book of Ezra. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says he stood at the pulpit and read the word of God for nine hours and the people stood and listened. That's in your Bible. While you're half asleep on Sunday morning, they stood there for nine hours as he preached the word. Real quiet. You say, oh, Lord. I and they pulled it out of him. And I think we still need to recognize this is still called a pulpit. It is not a podium. It is not a lectern. It is a pulpit where the word of God is preached and the power of God's word pulls people out of the pit. It pulls them out of the pit of depression. It pulls them out of the pit of sin. It pulls them out of the pier of doubt. 
It pulls them out of the pit of worry and addiction and depression and addiction. It is the pulpit where we proclaim the gospel and he pulls people out. Likewise, this is not a stage. Oh, you hear me? This is not a stage. If you want to get me angry, you say, well, we're on the stage. No, a stage is what the world uses to show man's talent. This is a platform where we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's just semantics. No, 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 no. It's understanding who we are in a culture. It is not about so you could say, wow, boy, that, that worship team could really sing. Okay, they're gifted, but the reason they have the gift is for the edification of the church, to build up the church. And I think we still need to recognize those things. And it can still happen. We can still pull people out of the pit, but there has to be a demand that is put on the anointing. Many times we are waiting on God to do something. And we'll say, well, pastor, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. But God is actually waiting on you to do something. That is why we have praise and worship. That's what it's all about. Well, I don't like that song. That's not my style. I don't like how they sing that song. And, you know, I'm often, I'm often reminded that David, young King David, he built all the musicians and all the stringed instruments. Prior to David's tabernacle, Moses had the tabernacle, and they only had one instrument, the shofar. Oh, praise God. <laughs> Blow that again. Oh, glory to God. That's, that's so anointed. And all of a sudden, this young kid came in, and he had all these new instruments, and he's doing it a new way, and he's singing a new style, and the old folks said, oh, just, that ain't my kind. Just blow that so far. Oh, that's so anointed. And that's how some of you sound when the praise and worship start. Well, I'm just not going to worship. That's not my style. Just blow the shofar. That's all I want. All that is is the enemy trying to keep you from placing a demand on the anointing because the anointing makes the difference listen how much more do you want God to do he's already sent his son to die on the cross he's already rose again on the third day he's already given you the, the keys of death hell and the grave he's already told you you have an anointing that abides he still has given you the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God. He's given you that same power to operate in. How much more he's empowered you, how much more do you want? He wants to flow through you. You already are more than a conqueror. He wants to strengthen you. Come on, somebody, it's time for us to do our part and place a demand on the anointing. How do I do that? By faith, by your obedience. Listen, God is not temperamental. God is not moody. It's up to you to draw out the anointing. If you're tired of things being like they are, if you're tired of the same old thing in your life, if you're tired of being indifferent, it's been a long time. If it's been a long time since you had a move of God, a fresh touch in your heart, and the Holy Spirit in your life, then lift up your voice, get out of your comfort zone, lift your hands, and put a demand on the presence of God that is flowing all around you that other people are experiencing, and say, Lord, while others now are calling, as Brian said, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. You don't have to sit through another service and leave exactly how you came but it's up to you. Listen to this biblical truth. If there is no demand, there is no supply. The greater the demand, the greater the supply. Hungry people put a demand on ministry gifts that will always have a supply of the anointing. Ministry in churches can go to a new level when the people come to church with a great expectation that as the pastor teaches, the congregation can draw the ministry gifts out of him. Listen, we leave too much up to chance. We ought to stack things in our favor. Well, how do I stack things in my favor? By expecting and believing and carrying out God's word. 
Matthew 20 and 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out even more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy, God. What were they doing? They were putting a demand on the anointing. Their attitude was, all of you can see. You don't need what I need. So I'm putting a demand. I'm putting it at my attention. I'm doing something out of the ordinary. And I said it yesterday. If they would have stayed quiet, Jesus would have walked on by, fully filled with power and authority to set them free. Mark chapter 6, the Bible tells us, the same miracle-working Jesus who walked on the water and raised the dead, went to his hometown of Nazareth, and he could not do mighty miracles or works there, except he laid hands on a few sick people, he healed them, and he marveled, listen now, he marveled because of their unbelief. Oh, did you catch it? The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who told the oceans this far and no further. The one who breathed a breath of life into Adam goes to his hometown and marvels at their unbelief. I can imagine him shaking his head, saying, man, I, I really want to pour the anointing out. Do you realize it's possible to limit the limitless Savior? Oh, I want you to think about that. You have the ability to limit the limitless Savior by your actions, your doubt, and your unbelief. And I often wonder when I'm preparing to preach in a church, Lord, at the end of the service, will the Holy Spirit walk through shaking his head at their unbelief? Will he shake his head and say, I wanted to do great things. I long to do great things. So don't tell me it's up to Jesus to do everything. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Amen. Understand, that doesn't mean Jesus' ministry was finished. It meant that he was transitioning his ministry. The ministry that he came to fulfill. How do I know I have a vision from God? You always know the vision is from God when it is too great for your lifetime to achieve. God will allow you, Brian, to fulfill your portion of the vision. When your portion is done, he'll say, I'm transitioning you now to another, and someone else will pick it up. Someone else will pick up the vision, the call. Jesus transitioned on the cross. He said, it is finished, and he transitioned his ministry. What is his ministry now? To sit at the right hand of God the Father and intercede for you and me. He's interceding. He's praying. He's believing. He knows. Oh, come on. Jesus, the master, is interceding for you. There will come a time when he will transition again. When he's rocking back and forth and looks back at the father and says, can I go and get my bride? And the father says, go and get them. That's what scripture says, the dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with King Jesus. Oh, that day is on the way. But until it comes, he is praying and interceding for you. He's asking you as I'm praying, I sent the Holy Spirit, put a demand on him by your faith. By your belief, do you realize I don't want to limit the limitless Savior? I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I limiting the Holy Spirit in my home by my doubts and my unbelief? Am I limiting the Holy Spirit's ability to move? Don't tell me it's all Jesus. Your spirit, you're placing a demand on it. Okay, biblical parallels, Mark 5 and 34. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Biblical parallels. Luke 8, 46. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. And I perceive power going out from me. In every occasion, somebody put a demand on the anointing. 
Someone was willing to step out of the crowd. Someone was willing to do something out of the ordinary. Listen, friend, you cannot be passive and expect to receive. You must have active faith. Active faith. We have to teach this generation active faith. When I was coming up, they taught us active faith. I'll never forget growing up in my church and as a young man, they taught, me, they taught us to speak the word of faith. Then they taught us to confess faith. Then they taught us to memorize scripture and claim scripture and believe God and anoint with oil and lay on of hands. They taught us how to wait in the altar and not give up or give in. I'll never forget, we used to always sit in the back corner of the sanctuary and my wife now was my girlfriend then and we were in junior high school. And there was a man that came and sat behind us by the name of Lloyd Waterfield. I hated that old ball man. He was a pain in my side. And the reason I hated him is because I was trying to get my Mac on. And I'm writing on the envelope. Do you think I'm cute? Check yes. And she would say yes, and we're playing tic-tac-toe. And just when I was about to reach over and grab her hand, to hold her hand in church, old Lloyd Waterfield would take his cane, boom, hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> and I would turn back and look at him, and he would say, my God has an abundant supply. <laughs> so we would scoot down the bench, and he would scoot down with us. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I would reach over, and I would say, so how's it going, you know? I'm good. And it, He'd say, my God has an abundant supply. So when the pastor gave the altar call, we all stood up and went forward because we needed healing. I had a concussion <laughs> in the back of my head. And we'd go down and kneel in the altar, and old Lloyd Waterfield would come right behind us. And I can't tell you how many times I tried to stand up, and his size 12 was in my middle of my back. He'd push me back down. And he'd, just put, and he'd keep his foot there. He'd pray, oh, Lord, get him, Lord. Oh, Lord, get him. Pastor, we need that. Yes, we do. That, and, and he knew if he kept me in the altar long enough, the presence of God would get a hold of my life. I don't remember very many sermons that were preached, but I remember those altar services. And the modern-day church has gotten away from the fundamentals of our faith. The last thing they think of when everything else has failed is to pray. Well, Pastor, what can we do? Pastor, well, I mean, uh, can we have a committee? Can, can, we, can we do something? We got Well, let's pray. Okay, I know we're going to pray, Pastor, but what else can we do? We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to put a demand on the anointing. We're going to be obedient to the word of God. I'm old enough to remember when the altar was more popular than the coffee bar. And we saw miracles. We saw healings. When's the last time the church had a sacred assembly? We called our men to fast and pray. I believe it's time again. In this transition, it's time to call the men of this church to fast and pray. And ask God for direction. We've walked away from the real power that can change our lives. In Acts 5, 1 through 5, after the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was so anointed that the apostle walked out into the streets and the people knew he was coming, so they put a demand on the reservoir of anointing by putting the lame and the crippled people out in the street so his shadow would fall on them and they would be healed. All they wanted was the shadow. But their faith and obedience put a demand on the anointing. Their actions put a demand on the anointing. Talk about faith. In Luke 5, 18, biblical patterns, they tore the roof off the building. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on this mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They put a demand on the power of the anointing. And what Jesus said is amazing. When Jesus saw their faith, it doesn't say when Jesus saw the faith of the man on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith. 
when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I call that stretcher-bearer faith. Somebody has to carry people on the stretcher to Jesus. Because there's a field full of people out there watching their kids play soccer, and I guarantee you over half of them are struggling in their life with fear, with doubt, and worry. they're on a stretcher. Do we have anybody that will walk across the parking lot and put a demand on the anointing of the Holy Spirit and carry them to Jesus? Stretcher bearer faith. Father, that we would all have the faith to put a demand on the anointing. Friends, say with me, faith ignites the power of God. Say it again. Faith ignites the power of God. Biblical parallels. Let me take you a little deeper. Luke chapter 4, verse 25, 26, and 27. Luke 4, 25. 26 and 27. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in that time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So I began to ask the Holy Spirit, why? If there are many widows who have financial needs, and if there's a great many miracles that need to take place, and many lepers who were sick and needed healing, and only one got a healing, and only one got a financial miracle, why is that, God? If there was many needs, and the Holy Spirit whispered, no other man or woman had faith enough to reach out. And put a demand on the anointing. They were wallowing in their fear and their doubt and their self-pity. The widow gave her last meal. Do you realize the widow gave her last meal, she gave it to God, and that offering that she gave to God lasted her three and a half years. Naaman was the only one willing to dip in the river seven times. What are you willing to do to put a demand on the anointing? A friend of mine by the name of John, he's a pastor. I'll leave his last name out. He and his wife were trying to have a child. They went to all the clinics. Finally, the doctor told them, you're both infertile. It'll never happen. And he said, well, I don't know. I will have to start trusting God. And he heard me teaching on putting a demand on the anointing. So he said to me, Brother Randy, I want you to go with us to the baby store. We're going to go pick out a crib. I said, really? He said, yeah, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I said, you better be sure that's God, John. He said, oh, yeah, I'm positive. And he went and they got a, 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 a crib and they set it up in a baby's room. And every day and every morning, he'd go in there to have his devotions, and he put a demand on that anointing. And he said, Lord, I'm believing. I'm believing you, Lord. I'm believing that you're going to give us a child. I got a call several months later. He said, you're not going to believe it. I said, oh, I believe it. My God can do all things. The doctor says we're pregnant. It's an impossibility, but he said we're pregnant, and God has just not given us one baby. God has given us two. We're, on, we're going to have twins. I said, oh, my Lord. We serve a God of an abundant supply. Biblical parallels, Matthew 15 and 21. A desperate woman came and put a demand on Jesus. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's already proclaiming that he's the Messiah. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, almost like he was ignoring her. Then the disciples said, send her away, master. She's bugging us with all this begging. I, I want you to see the picture. 
This woman comes to Jesus, and she's putting a demand on the anointing. She's begging him, I need you, Lord. I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. And the pastoral staff completely miss it, and they say she's bugging us. She keeps coming to church office bugging us. Send her away. Listen to me. When you are really stretching your faith, there will be people in your life that will doubt your faith. Send her away. Why was Jesus ignoring her? He was trying to stimulate the faith that was in her. Each one of us has been given a measure of faith. What you do with that measure of faith depends on you. He was trying to call her out. And she hears the disciples say she's bugging us with all that begging. Suddenly, she changes her tactic and she combines pleading with God with worship. Look at verse 25 says of Matthew 15. But she came and worshipped him. But she started to worship. She didn't let anything deter her. She was putting a demand on the anointing in his life. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great and your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Jesus wasn't being callous. He was wanting to activate her faith. To water the seed of faith. Do you know you have to water the seeds of faith? How do I water the promises of God in my life? You thank God in advance for the miracle before the miracle ever happens. You, you thank God for the answer before it ever takes place. Faith ignites the power of God. Matthew 14, 35 and 36, biblical parallels. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all their sick, and they begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, his garment, and all who touched it were healed. One translation says, they kept begging him. They put a demand on the anointing. They kept saying, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. I've got to touch you. I need you now more than I've ever needed you before. Biblical parallels, Matthew 6 and 56. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplace. Here it is again. They begged him to let them touch him, even the edge of his cloak. Are you starting to get the lesson? We have a blood covenant that tells us by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 and 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was Crushed for our iniquities. Oh, let me explain to you as I try to wrap this up for you. Transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions and iniquities. Do you know what a transgression is? A transgression is when you do something and you know you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway. You transgress the law of God. David knew he should be off fighting his battle but he was at a part time in his life where there were no more giants to slay. He literally was in the middle of a, of, a, of a midlife crisis. And he's off on the roof instead of out doing what he's supposed to do. And he sees Bathsheba and he, she's out on the, on the roof across the way taking a bath. And he says, who is that hot babe? He even asked his servant, who's that chick out there? Well, that is Bathsheba the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So he knows she's a married woman. If it happened today, they would blame it on Bathsheba and say, well, she was trying to seduce him. The politicians would spin it. But God doesn't let that happen. God holds David accountable. And David, knowing that she's a married woman, tells his servant, go and get that woman for me. And he transgresses the law of God. A transgression is when you know you should do something, but you do it, you shouldn't do something, but you do it anyway because you want to. The iniquity is the secret sin. The iniquity is what you do in private to try to cover up what you've already done in public. That's the iniquity. The secret sin. He finds out that she's pregnant. So he concocts a plan 
to have her husband come home from the battlefield to go and sleep with his wife, and that way he could think the child is his. But this man is so full of valor and dedication that he stays out with the troops and he doesn't come home. Now David has got to figure something out. And he tells his right-hand man to attack the enemy, but then pull the soldiers back and don't tell Uriah and leave him out there on the front lines all alone. And Uriah is killed. And Isaiah said that Jesus at Calvary was bruised for your outward sins that everybody sees. He was bruised for your transgressions, but he was crushed for your secret sin. The things you think nobody knows about. And then you say, why can't God move in my life? You can't move, Lord, in my life. I've got unconfessed sin, and I haven't put a demand on the anointing. And there are people in this room right now that God is saying, I, I was bruised and crushed for your secret sin. I was bruised and crushed for the things everybody sees. And I love you so much. And I want to do miracles in Church on the Rock. But you've got to learn to put a demand on the anointing of the Holy Spirit and not just sit there, but actively work with me. You have to offer it up. And he'll give you strength and health, saying, Lord, I shall recover in Jesus' name. There are, there are somebody here sitting here saying, well, I guess, you know, I, I got this sickness in my, in my lungs because before I got saved, I smoked three packs a day. I guess that I just have to live with it. No, you don't have to live with it. I know some of you think, well, I deserve what I'm dealing with in my lungs that I smoked all those years. No, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the nicotine that's in your lungs. He can renew your lungs and deliver you from your cravings. And if you would begin to put a demand on that anointing, well, I deserve it. No, you, you, you're saved. You're born again. You're under the blood. He's taken that sin to the cross. He doesn't even remember it anymore. And now you can put a demand on the anointing. By an upraised hand. How many say, Randy, I've got to put a demand on the anointing because I've got some things in my life that I need God to take care of right now. If that's you, come on, let me see your hand. All over the room. I want the musicians to come quickly. Quickly. Jesus, in John 2, does his first miracle simply because his mother put a demand on him. He is literally at the wedding of Canaan, and they run out of wine on the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not come. And he said, she said, oh, yes, it has. And he goes, no, it hasn't. She said, oh, yes, it has. And then she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. The only reason... Jesus starts his miracle ministry was because his mother put a demand on the anointing. His mother put the demand on the anointing. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Go ahead and play soft, soft room, Will. Listen, according to Ephesians 5, water represents the word of God. You are the vessel of God. If you want God to do a miracle in your vessel, you better fill it with water of the word. You have to fill your life with the word. So Jesus has something to work with. If you're asking God to do a miracle, you'd better have some water in the pot. And the water is the word. The servants of God need to be filled with the word of God so he can use to flow out of them. Now listen. Jesus tells the servants, reach into the pot and draw out the water. 
Notice it was still water in the pot. It didn't become wine until they drew it out. And in that instant, God did a molecular miracle. Because water is the simplest, for those of you that are H2O, for you scientists in the room, it's a simple, simple molecular formula in creation is water, H2O. But a fine wine and fermentation is one of the most complicated scientific things. So why did Jesus choose water into wine? Because his mother put a demand on him. And what is the significance? He's telling all the world, I am God. I can take the simplest molecular structure and in an instant turn it to the most complicated chemical factor. Because I'm God. I'm God. And for those that say, well, you know, Pastor, that was just jam. No, no, no. It went through the fermentation process immediately. And the head of the house said, you saved the finest for the end. That's when miracles happen. When God pulls the water and turns it to wine in your life. And tonight, normal men and women filled with the word can get a miracle. So I want you right now to forget the person to the left and to the right. And I want you to begin to put a demand on the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is all around you. And that's what we're going to do right now. I've asked John, one of our leaders in our church, to get together several people that are, that are anointed of God, that, that have an ability to pray. And they're going to anoint you with oil. In fact, I want those people that John talked to to come right now and just stand right down front. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. Why do we anoint with oil? Because the anointing makes the difference. The anointing oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit. It was a healing, healing formula in Scripture. Spread out, guys. Come on, spread out. Spread out. Come down here. Spread out. And I just taught you that you've got, by faith, put a demand on the reservoir that is in this man. That is in this man. That is in this woman. Come down a little further, Pastor. Right there. Right there. Stop right there. That's in this man and this woman. Yeah, you should just spread out. I know you love her, but it should be all right. They have a reservoir. And I want you to be honest. How many need God to do something in your life? Come on, let me see your hand. Come on. Then for the next 30 to 40 seconds, I want you to sing this song, and I want you to prepare your heart to put a demand on the anointing. Just lift your hands right now all over the room. Holy Spirit, have your way. I pray that there be healings, miracles, that in this room right now is a reservoir of anointing for financial breakthrough, for healing, for deliverance in Jesus' name. Come on, stand right now and sing it. Sing it.
that these people would activate their faith in the same way Bartimaeus did. There's power in Jesus' name, but Bartimaeus' expectation activated the faith that brought the miracle. Lord, I pray that they would step out in faith. And what I'm going to ask you to do is when they anoint you with oil, don't go and just turn around and go sit down. Go find a place to pray and kneel and say, Lord, I'm believing you. I'm expecting you for a miracle, Lord. I, I need you to do something in my life. It might not even be a physical healing. It might be emotional, mental. You might need a financial breakthrough. Whatever that reservoir is, you put a demand on the anointing that is in this room. Maybe your children are having learning difficulties and you want someone to lay hands upon them and pray that God would open up their mind to the things they need and close their mind to the things they don't. Maybe you're struggling at work and you're saying, Lord, I can't seem to get ahead. Maybe you want to be a part of a ministry and you don't know what your ministry giftings are. And you're saying, Lord, I'm believing you right now that you would just begin to move in my life. In fact, I'm going to ask you, when you after they get you anointed, after they anoint you, Lord, to just find a place to kneel. You might want to walk around the building. And we're going to go into a prayer service. And we're going to say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. At the count of three, you come. And you come to these that are standing here. And with every step you take, you say, Lord, I'm putting a demand on the reservoir in that person. The church has recognized that they are leaders of the church. I'm putting a, a demand on the reservoir of anointing that's in their life. I'm expecting my healing. And you watch the reports that we get. In the name of Jesus. At the count of three, you come. Don't hesitate, don't wait. Just come. One. Don't miss it. Two. Three, right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Bring the Find a place to kneel, find a place to pray. 